0: Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters two and three of Breaking Dawn, Long Night and Big Day. I don't usually like to combine chapters, but that's just those chapter headings are just so thematically linked, aren't they? Long Night and Big Day. I didn't even realize that until I just said it. Stephanie Meyer is a genius. And what I love about this book, honestly, is just that we get two chapters of them being engaged and then we're, then we're heading to the wedding. No fucking about here. Stephanie said, let's cut to it. And I appreciate that. Because as much as we've gone on about it forever, I'm team Bella now. Like you've made the decision. You've agreed to turn her into a vampire. So let's get to step in and turn that bitch into a vampire. That's what we've all been waiting for since like Twilight. I remember when I first read Twilight, I got to the end of the book and I was like, oh great, next book she'll turn into a vampire. Nah. (laughs) Then I thought, okay, well, Eclipse, she'll turn into a vampire. Nah. And so, okay, this is the last one. It has to happen. So let's speed along. Let's speed right along. Okay, so where we left off, basically she just reminded us who the characters were. Bella had been driving around town, looking at flyers, filling up petrol. Okay, so I don't know if I mentioned this last week. How is she already out of petrol? She just said she doesn't go anywhere. She never takes the car out because it's so distracting. She just got the car and it's already empty. I think she needs to trade in that tank of a car to get something that has better mileage. Environmentally, it just doesn't seem like a good fit, that vehicle. Anyway, all right, so yeah, nothing happened. Let's get into it. So we pick up and I don't know if it's the day after. I don't know if there's been a time jump. I'm not too sure. But it's the day before the wedding and Edward's gonna go and have his bachelor party. Now, I I think you should space out the bachelor party and the wedding day because you never know how you're gonna turn up that next day, you know what I mean? But he's a vampire. He's not gonna be drinking alcohol. He's gonna be drinking blood. So I guess it makes more sense, especially since they're gonna have people over for the wedding, like humans, that is. So I imagine they do need to go out and eat some mountain lions to curb them wanting to rip out people's throats and drink their blood. Because you know, it's not been that long ago since Jasper tried to kill Bella when she got a paper cut. And now the Cullens are inviting all, all of Bella's friends, all three of her friends, to their house for the wedding in their house. All these vampires with all of these humans. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I know they go to high school, they're used to it, but none of that, I mean, that doesn't make sense. Okay. I really need to just get on with it. So, um, okay. So they're saying like, oh, I miss you. I miss you. Don't leave. Don't leave. Blah, blah, blah. And she's also making out with Edward. And she says (laughs) that they were quiet for a long moment. Just the thud of my heart hammering and the broken rhythm of our ragged breathing. Okay. Why is he breathing? He's a vampire. Why is he breathing? I just can't. I guess Stephanie forgets that Edward's a vampire. And then Ironically, the next line is, Sometimes it was so easy to forget that I was kissing a vampire. How is it easy? How is it easy? She goes, Not because he seemed ordinary or human. What? I could never for a second forget that I was holding someone more angel than man in my arms, but because he made it seem like nothing at all to have his lips against my lips. Okay. My face, my throat. So she's talking that because he's resisting the temptation to eat her blood, uh that makes her forget That he's a vampire, even though she's consistently aware of how attractive he is and how otherworldly he is, and also he's ice cold and it feels like he's made out of marble. And I'm, I don't, I don't know how she can ever forget. You know, I forget when someone's a Sagittarius. Sure, I can forget a lot of things, but I wouldn't forget if someone was a vampire. And then she just goes on about how her blood smells so good to him. Him in particular, for some reason, her blood is just so delicious. And I'm like, okay, braggy. And then she says that they're looking into each other's eyes. And she says, I looked into his eyes that were so deep, I imagined I could see all the way into his soul. And then we go on about the soul. Like, oh. You know how like last book, she was like, of course you have a soul, Edward. She says, it seems silly that this fact, this existence of his soul had ever been in question. Well, I don't know if it is a fact because everything I've read about vampires is that they're soulless bloodsuckers she's like, of course he has a soul. Obviously, he had the most beautiful soul, more beautiful than his brilliant mind or his incomparable face or his glorious body. Like, oh my God, get over it. And then we get a recap on how we can read minds. You'd think we'd know that by now, but no. She goes into it. I guess it's just foreshadowing that she has a shield ability. And Stephanie wants to remind us that she's impervious to certain vampire talents, just so it's not so blindsiding when Bella has this talent all along. I, I I don't know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But she, she explains to us how only her mind was immune. My body was still subject to vampires with abilities that worked in ways other than Edward's. And I think, bullshit, bullshit. She's just come up with that. That was a plot hole and she just said, you know what, let's just call it, her mind is impervious, but her body is fair game. That's how Jasper can affect her moods. Through the body. That's how Alice can see her future because it's the future of her body. (laughs) But Jane, whose power is to cause pain, pain to people's bodies, it doesn't work on Bella because the pain's a mental thing and not real. Uh, Whatever, Steph, whatever. But she says she was seriously grateful to whatever malfunction it was that kept her thoughts a secret because it would be too embarrassing to consider the alternative. And I have to agree with her there. I think if Edward could actually read her thoughts, they would never have dated. Never. Because I'm reading her thoughts right now and noob. Okay, so here's where she's like, it's your bachelor party. You have to go. You have to go. And he's like, no, I want to stay. And she's like, you have to go. And he says... Bachelor parties are designed for those who are sad to see the passing of their single days. I couldn't be more eager to have mine behind me, so there's really no point. And she goes, true, true. I don't really know if bachelor parties are designed for people who are sad about not being single anymore. I think that's, I don't know, I think that's a bit lame. It may be the case for a lot of people, but I'm of the school of thought, if you wanna stay single, stay single, don't get married. And I think he just said something ridiculous and she just goes, true, because she'll just agree with whatever he says. So then she reminds us that Charlie was sleeping obliviously in the next room because even though he's a police officer, he's got no instincts. He's got no intuition, no hearing. Like I know Edward can speak quietly, but like she's loud. I feel like I'd know if someone else was in the house, but no, he has no fucking clue. Then she says, okay, counter to that. She says, she has to be swaddled in a blanket while cuddling with Edward because he's so icy, it'll turn her cold. And she says, Charlie would notice if I turned the heat on in August. And I don't know if he would notice because you've had a boy in your room every night for the past six months and he's never noticed. And so she's bundled up in blankets, yet he's still got his top off. I don't get that. And she goes, I never got over the shock of how perfect his body was. Is it that shocking? Is it that shocking that a vampire has a good bod? They all have good bods. But what sort of makes me go, uh, eh, is how she describes the, the perfect body. Okay, so this is Stephanie Meyer's idea of a perfect body. White, cool, and polished as marble. Okay. All right, so those three things signify a perfect body, do they, Steph? Yikes. So then she's running her hands over his abs, okay? And she starts making out with him and he has to pull away. And he's like, all right, Bella, come on, settle down. Because you know, she's, she's horny. He's worried that he's gonna accidentally kill her. She wants to have sex while she's still a human. That's a whole big thing. She's like, come on, practice makes perfect. She says, this is the dress rehearsal and we've only practiced certain scenes. It's no time for playing safe. So, what I think she's saying is, she's like, Yeah, you've agreed to have sex with me while well, I'm still human after we're married, before I get turned into a vampire, but our BJ's on the table. I think that's what she's saying. And she says, I thought he would laugh, but he didn't answer, and his body was motionless with sudden stress. The gold in his eyes seemed to harden from a liquid to a solid. And that's not the only thing that seemed to harden, from what I can tell. And he's like, Bella, Bella, a deal's a deal. We're not going to do this. And she's like, Come on. And he goes, Nah. We're not doing it. And then they kiss again, but she can tell that he's worrying about her getting torn to shreds while they have sex. And she thinks, oh, how different would it be when he didn't need to worry about me anymore? As in like when she's a vampire, he shouldn't have to worry about her anymore. It's like, do you even know your husband or fiance at all? Because of course he's gonna be worrying about you for the rest of his goddamn eternal life. And then they talk about whether or not they have cold feet. And he says like, are you really gonna be okay? Like after the wedding? what about Renee? What about Charlie? Will you miss them? And she's like, yeah, I'll miss them. And he goes, well, what about Angela and Ben and Jessica and Mike? And she goes, yeah, I'll miss my friends too, especially Mike. Oh, Mike, how will I go on? And he growls. I think she's being a bit mean to poor old Mike. You know, I love Mike. Hashtag Team Mike. I will remind you there's Team Mike merchandise available at (laughs) breakingdownbadbooks.com. If you are so inclined, please go out and get a (laughs) Team Mike t-shirt or a mug. (laughs) <laughs> that's the dumbest thing. Okay, so then she's like, oh, Edward, we've been through this. You know, it's what I want. And I'm like, yeah, we've all been through it. Why are we going through it again? And he says, oh, frozen forever at 18. And she says, every woman's dream come true. I don't know. I think you're making a lot of generalizations there, Bells. Does every woman want to be frozen in time at 18? 18 of all ages? You know what, if I had to be frozen in time, like, yeah, 24 was fine. I don't. I don't want to go back to being 18. And then he says, do you remember when we told Charlie we were getting married? And it's like, yeah, obviously it was the last chapter. And he says, and he thought you were pregnant. And so now we've got to talk about the pregnancy stuff again. Foreshadowing. So Edward's going on about how much of a sacrifice it will be for her to not be able to have kids if she turns into a vampire. Never factoring in the fact that he doesn't produce semen. So <sighs> there's a lot of issues, not just her becoming a vampire. And she sort of seems to be like, well, we'll just adopt. And he just fobs that off completely, even though he was adopted himself. So they just rehash that argument for 45 fucking minutes. And then Emmett and Jasper are at the window. Okay, really, really actually kind of creepy. Emmett's like scratching the window, being like, come out, come out, which is horrifying considering they are vampires. And so she's like, you gotta go. And he's like, I wanna stay. And she's like, go, be with your brothers. So he jumps out the window. And she says under her breath, like, you better not make him late talking to Emma and Jasper. Which again is why I don't think you should have a bachelor party the day before a wedding. Like I've watched The Hangover. You need a few days buffer in case shit goes crazy. I've always said that. And then Jasper pops up and he's like, don't worry, Bells. We'll get him home in plenty of time. And she's suddenly very calm. And it's like, yeah, because Jasper is a mood controller. So we get the backstory on Jasper. And then she says, Jasper, what do vampires do for bachelor parties? you're not taking him to a strip club, are you? And Jasper goes, oh, we Cullens have our own version. Just a few mountain lions, a couple of grizzly bears, pretty much an ordinary night out. Okay, so they have their own version of a bachelor party. And why? But like Rosalie pretty much turned Emmett as soon as she met him, right? Because he was dying from a grizzly attack or some bullshit. So like, as soon as he was a vampire, he, he had met her. So when did this tradition come into effect? And similar with Jasper and Alice, like I don't really know if they had a wedding ceremony enough to have a bachelor party, but no, they've got their own little tradition. And I wonder why Bella didn't have a bachelorette party. Or did she? And I've forgotten about it already. Was it last chapter? I must've missed it. But Bella's not fun. She's not a fun person. So of course she didn't have a bachelorette party. So then she gets back into bed. She's stressing about tomorrow, the big day. And she's like, oh, attention was an inevitable part of life. I couldn't always blend in with the scenery. So she's worried about getting attention on her wedding day. (laughs) And does she really think that she actually blends in with the scenery? Like this whole series of books have just been people fawning over her. She moved to Forks and everyone was staring at her like, oh my God, look at that vixen. The hottest girl in the world just rocked up to Forks High. (laughs) I don't know how. But yeah, so I don't really think you've ever blended in with the scenery, babe. And then she's stressed about the train of the wedding dress. She's like, oh, how am I gonna walk down the stairs without falling? And she goes, maneuvering the Cullen staircase in heels and the train sounded impossible. Impossible, I should have practiced, she says. Okay, well, practice tomorrow then if you're that worried about it, but also take a chill pill. I don't know why they're doing it in the house. They actually have the wedding in the house. I think in the movie, they're doing it in like, I don't know, a meadow or on the backyard or some bullshit. And it's much nicer. And then she's stressing about the guest list. She's thinking about how they've invited the Denali clan, you know, Tanya and her fam. And she's like threatened by them because they'll all be really pretty. And she thinks that like Edward has some chemistry with them. Even though Edward was the biggest like little virgin square, like he didn't go anywhere near them. We all know this, but she's still stressed about it. And also Irina's not coming. (laughs) That's Tanya's sister. She's not coming because she was the one that was dating Laurent. <laughs> and she said she still nursed a vendetta against the werewolves for killing her friend Laurent just as he was about to kill me. Just in case you forgot. And you know what? Kind of fair enough, Arena. I wouldn't go to the wedding too if they killed my boyfriend. And so then she goes, "Edward had promised me that it wouldn't be dangerous to have the Denalis," so he's calling them the Denalis, near the Quill Kenya and all her family, besides Arena, felt horribly guilty for that defection because they didn't come and help with the fight against Victoria and the newborns. She says, a truce with the werewolves was a small price to pay to make up some of that debt, a price they were prepared to pay. Okay, but like, did you forget how everyone on the reservation are turning into werewolves because of the presence of just a few vampires down the road? Like, isn't that a whole big thing how they didn't expect so many people to turn into werewolves, including like Leah. They didn't expect a girl to turn into a werewolf or or Seth because he was too young to become a werewolf. We'd figured out that all these transformations were happening because of the presence of the Cullens. And now they're inviting five Denalis down to a wedding, a wedding of all things. And no, it'll be fine because they'll be on their best behavior. And it's like, yeah, they're going to turn everyone into werewolves. But when she tried to bring up her insecurities to Edward, he was just like, oh, we're the closest thing they have to a family, Bella. They still feel like orphans, you know, even after all this time. So she'd conceded, she'd said, Like, oh my God, your husband wants one of his, like, three friends to come to the wedding. And you have to concede for that? Like, oh my God. And she goes, Tanya had a big family now, almost as big as the Cullens. There were five of them. And so, okay. I'm remembering now how they're all like, Oh, it's so rare for people like the Cullens, like a, a, a coven of more than five vampires. That's crazy. That's crazy. And yet, like, We've met other covens. James had a coven of three people. Like, yeah, that's not as big as five, but that's still three people. I don't don't get it, but they think like, wow, what a huge big family, five, five. So how is James hanging out with two buddies? Not remarkable, but Tanya having a family of five is crazy, what? And so then I guess, I don't know, we asked for this or something, or again, it's just foreshadowing. They talk about how, Tanya's family had a mother. They had a Carlisle type figure. And she remembers one night where Carlisle told her the story. So she says that there are rules that the vampires follow. And even though she says there are rules, she goes, Actually, scrap that. There is only one rule, one law that broke down into a thousand different facets. Keep the secret. That's the vampire rule, the big rule. And it's also the one that Edward (laughs) did, did not abide by. If it's such a big rule, why'd he break it in like chapter five of Twilight? Okay, maybe not chapter five. That was probably blood type or some bullshit, but like chapter 11. The one big vampire lore and he fucked it. She says, keeping the secret meant a lot of things, living inconspicuously like the Cullens. Okay. Moving on before humans could suspect that they weren't aging or keeping clear of humans altogether. Then why do they go to high school? It still doesn't make any sense to me. There's one rule don't make yourself known to humans. And they say, okay, let's enroll in Forks High. What? Anyway, so that rule means also keeping control of any new vampires that you create. Their mother lived many years before Carlisle was even alive. We're talking from plague time, so she's old hat. And apparently those ancient ones created vampires out of humans who were barely more than infants. So they would just go and turn kids into vampires and they were really beautiful. And Carlyle was like, yeah, we loved them. They were so endearing, so enchanting, you can't imagine. However, they could not be taught. They were frozen at whatever level of development they'd achieved before being bitten. Adorable two-year-olds with dimples and lisps that could destroy half a village in one of their tantrums. Blah, 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 you get the picture. Again, foreshadowing resume. So at one point, their mother... Who doesn't have a name apparently. She's been alive for so fucking long. Everyone knows who she is, but they don't know her name. Anyway, so she turned a kid into a vampire, and so the Volturi got involved, obviously. And so as soon as um Carlisle mentions the Volturi, she flinches and she goes, But of course the Legion of Italian vampires was central to this story. She calls them a Legion of Italian vampires. I'm sure some of them are migrants. Some of them commute to Italy. I don't believe they're all Italian. Anyway, she gives us the backstory on the Volturi as if we've forgotten. The Volturi studied the immortal children at home in Volterra and all around the world. Chaos decided that the young ones were incapable of protecting the secret, so they had to be destroyed. But because the kids were so lovable, covens fought to the last man and were utterly decimated to protect them. So there was carnage, blah, blah, blah. The immortal children became unmentionable, a taboo, even though he's mentioning them right now. He says, when I lived with the Volturi, I met two immortal children, so I know firsthand the appeal that they had. Yeah, they're cute. Like, okay. He says, it is unclear precisely what happened with Tanya's mother. Tanya, Kate, and Arena were entirely oblivious until the Volturi came for them, their mother, and her illegal creation, already their prisoners. It was ignorance that saved Tanya's life. Arrow touched them because he can see all of the thoughts you've ever had as soon as he touches you or some bullshit like that. And he could see that they were totally innocent so they weren't punished. I don't know how Tanya's mother has just kept a little demon spawn baby vampire just a secret. From how Carlyle just described them, they don't seem that discreet and not even Tanya Kato, or Arena had a clue? I don't know, that seems weird. So at some point, her memory of Carlyle's discussion about the baby vampire turns into a nightmare. And so she has a dream about a little vampire baby who's sitting on a pile of bodies. And as she gets closer, she sees that the bodies are Angela, Ben, Jessica, Mike, her mother and her father. And the child opened his bright blood red eyes. And that's the end of that chapter. So, okay, vampire babies, that's on the agenda. We got it. And then we go to big day. And guess what? It's the big day. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So she wakes up. She's all a flutter from that nightmare. She thinks, what a dream to have the night before my wedding, exclamation mark. That's what I got for obsessing over disturbing stories in the middle of the night. That's your future, doll. That's the family you're marrying into disturbing stories. It's vampires. That's what you actively want to be. So you know what? Put on your big girl panties. You're going to face a lot worse in your life. So get over it. And then like she forgets that it's her wedding day or whatever. So she does chores. She just starts cleaning the house. What? And then when Charlie wakes up, she makes him pancakes on her wedding day. Like, Charlie, I know you're so lazy, but could you not have just like flipped her a couple of eggs, put on a mimosa brunch or something? Just, you know what? Go out and buy a few croissants some pastries, put out a fruit plate. Like it's a fucking wedding day, May. I know you're not into it. I'm not into it either, but get on board. It's happening. Not even a mimosa. She has to make him pancakes. Out fucking rages. So she's not going to eat breakfast. So she's just watching him eat his pancakes. And she's like, oh, you've got to pick up Mr. Webber at three o'clock. That's the minister and also Angela's dad. And he goes, yeah, Bells, it's my only job. I'm not going to forget. And then she says, Charlie had taken the entire day off for the wedding and he was definitely at loose ends. Now and then his eyes flickered furtively to the closet under the stairs where he kept his fishing gear. Oh my God, Charlie. Charlie, you're making Renee look like a good parent. And then she says, that's not your only job. You also have to be dressed and presentable. And it says he scowled into his cereal bowl and muttered the words monkey suit under his breath. Cereal bowl? Is he eating pancakes out of a cereal bowl? Did Stephanie forget that Bella was making pancakes? And now- Mid-scene, he's switched to eating cereal. Or is he backing up a meal of pancakes with a cereal chaser? I'm sorry, you can't go from pancakes to cereal. That's not a pipeline that you can go on. That's that's crazy town. I think it's a typo, but that's just ridiculous. And then Alice comes over. She picks Bella up. Even though Bella's got a nice new car, Alice has taken her back over to the Cullen's place. And Alice is already like body shaming her. She's like, oh my God, you look like shit. Did you even get any sleep last night? Your eyes look like crap. <laughs> and she goes, I've only allotted so much time to make you stunning, Bella. You might have taken better care of my raw material. <laughs> Classic. I do enjoy Alice sometimes. And then Alice says, at least you'll have plenty of time to sleep on the plane tomorrow. And Bella, remember, because the honeymoon's a secret, she's like, a plane, hey? Oh, we're going on a plane tomorrow. We're leaving straight after the wedding. So that means it's going to be a long flight if we're still on the plane by tomorrow. She's still doing the math. She thinks, well, we weren't going to Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. Is that a honeymoon destination? Is that really where she was expecting that Edward Cullen would take her for her honeymoon? Boise. And Alice says, you're all packed and ready. I've packed all your crap. And she goes, Alice, I wish I could have packed my own suitcase. And she goes, no, it would have given too much away. So uh, then they fight about that. And also Alice is the only one that's seen Bella in her dress. And she doesn't want Edward to see her before the wedding or get spoiled so she's been like actively thinking other things whenever Edward's around so he doesn't get a vision of her in her dress. Oh my God, what a waste of energy. What a waste of energy. This Alice, this poor Alice. Has she not suffered enough? So they get to the house. By the way, the driveway has been all decorated like she did for graduation, just lights and all the trees and all that crap. And then Alice is like covering Bella's eyes as they walk through the house because she doesn't want Bella to be spoiled from what the house looks like. I don't think Bella cares what the house looks like. She doesn't even want this bloody wedding. She says, I want you to get the full impact when you're coming down the stairs. Like, oh my God. She needs to focus on not tripping down the stairs is what she needs to focus on. She doesn't care about the decos. And then also, I guess there's a million flowers in the house because it smells of flowers. And Alice is like, is it too much? I don't know, I'm a vampire. And then Bella turns into the Gordon Ramsay of flowers and she just starts sniffing. And she's like, mm, mmm. oh yes, I smell orange blossoms, lilac, oh, and something else. Am I right? And Alice is like, yeah, yeah, you, you're pretty good, but you miss the freesias and the roses. And she's like, oh, of course, freesias. Like, oh my God, who cares? And you know what? I could not identify a flower by scent, not at all. Not at all. But you know, Bella has a good sense of smell. She can smell blood, remember? So then they get to the bathroom. She finally takes the blindfold off or whatever. And Alice starts doling her up. She's got a big job ahead of her. Big job ahead of her, the poor bitch. And it must be taking hours. Even though Alice works at like lightning speed, because she's a vampire, she can move around like she's the Flash, but I guess she's not because it's not until after lunch that Rosalie walks past and she's like, oh, you need a hand. You need a hand with the hair. So they haven't even gotten to hair yet by lunchtime. So when Rosalie offers to do her hair, Bella's jaw falls open. She says, I floundered around in my head, trying to remember how to close it. Like trying to remember how to close her own jaw. Like, oh my God, you must be shocked. And then we get the backstory on how Rosalie doesn't really like Bella that much. Like, oh my God. Chapter three and we're still getting backstory. So they do her hair, and then Alice goes to get dressed herself, and she's also got to say hi to Jasper, who's going to the hotel to pick up Renee and Phil. We're getting a lot of logistical information. So Alice goes, okay, Bella, I have to go get dressed. Can you hold yourself together for two minutes? And Bella, being a sarcastic little thing, she's like, um, maybe... So she concentrates on her breathing, counting each movement of her lungs and stares at the pattern that the bathroom lights made on the shiny fabric of her skirt. Like, oh my God. Cheer up, Charlie. Like, oh my God. She's afraid to look in the mirror. So she's actively not looking in front of her. She's looking down at the pattern of the lights on her skirt. How drab, how very depressing. And then she says, Alice was back before I had taken 200 breaths. What? Was she counting her breaths? Okay, Alice said she'd be gone for two minutes. Can you breathe 200 times in two minutes? That's like a lot of breaths per second. Or Alice took longer than expected, which is weird because again, she moves like she's the freaking flash. So I don't know why she was so late that Bella got to 200 breaths. So she's like, Alice, you look so good. And Alice is like, oh, this old thing, don't worry. Everyone's gonna be looking at you. And Bella's like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Poor Bella with the self-esteem issues. <laughs> Poor Bella. Um, And so, okay, Renee is there now, again, in two minutes now, Renee's been picked up from the hotel, sped over to the Cullen's house, and now she's, well, not two minutes, it's 200 breaths, actually. Okay. So then she says, Renee had flown in two days ago, and I'd spent every minute I could with her. And yet it's the first time she's appearing in the book so far, so I don't know if that's true. She says, oh, every minute that I could pry her away from Esme and the decorations, in other words. So she's really loving planning this wedding. She says, as far as I could tell, she was having more fun with this than a kid locked inside Disneyland overnight. Okay, like I I get that I'm not meant to take this so seriously, but you know, the rides get turned off at night, doll. The lights get turned off. It's not magical at night when you're trapped in Disneyland by yourself. You'd think it'd be fun being locked in Disney overnight. Like there's no one to operate the rides for you. It'd actually be really quite horrifying, I believe. Like imagine being trapped in the middle of the night on the It's a Small World After All ride with all of those creepy little dolls looking at you in the dark. No, thank you. So then Renee comes up and she's like, oh my God, Bella, you're so beautiful. I'm gonna cry, blah, blah, fucking blah. Renee says like, oh, it's so cute that you guys designed the whole wedding to be like old fashioned. And Alice and Bella are like share a little smirk because they're like, yeah, we themed it around Edward's real age. And then Charlie comes up and Renee's like, hoo, -hoo, Charlie, don't you look dashing? And he goes, yeah, Alice got to me. So in that two minutes slash 200 breaths, Alice was really busy. And then Renee hugs her because she's got to go, you know, take a seat downstairs. And then she's like, oh my God, we've got the present, the present. Charlie, where's the box? So then Charlie produces a small white box, which he hands to Renee, which makes me believe that again, Charlie's done all the legwork in getting Bella a present and Renee's gonna take credit for it. So strap yourselves in. And so she opens the box and Renee says it's something blue and Charlie says, yeah, it's something old too. They were your grandma's swans. We had a jeweler replace the paste stones with sapphires. So inside the box were two heavy silver combs. Dark blue sapphires were clustered into intricate floral shapes atop the teeth. So yeah, a lot better than a scrapbook and a shitty Polaroid camera. An empty scrapbook. Remember when Renee was like, here, I got you an empty scrapbook. Oh, what a fucking dog present. That was so dog. So then Bella's like, oh, you shouldn't have. And then Alice says, "Yet yeah, that's something old and something blue. And then she takes a step back and she goes, and your dress is new, which I, I don't know if that counts. And she goes, so here. And then she flicks something at her and she holds it in her hands automatically. And she realizes it's the filmy white garter. She says, a filmy white garter landed in my palms. And Alice says, "That's mine, and I want it back." Did Alice just whip it off her own legs and shove it in, <laughs> shove it in Bella's hands? What? No, surely she just had it by her side, ready to hand to her. She didn't just take it off of her, off of her person. I don't understand. Okay, so that's the something borrowed, Alice's dirty garter. Yuck. So then Charlie goes to grab the flowers, and while he's out of the room, Alice puts the garter on Bella. And she she yanks the garter into place. Now I don't know a lot about garter, so I don't know how th- high up it's going. I don't know if it's upper thigh, lower thigh. I don't know if it's around the kneecaps. I don't I don't really know, and I don't really care. It's none of my business. But I don't know. I kind of wouldn't want to be wearing Alice's garter. Maybe that's a done thing. It might be a done thing. But I'm a prude. Either way, we're getting a, we're getting a lot of paragraphs on the garter. A lot of content about the garter. So apparently Rosalie, she's downstairs playing the piano. She's the second best musician in the family, apart from Edward. So she's playing the bridal waltz. So Alice goes first. She walks down the stairs, doesn't trip over. And then five seconds later, her and Charlie walk down the stairs and she's like, don't let me fall, dad. She's really paranoid about tripping. Although she didn't practice. When she got to the house early enough, she could have practiced, but she didn't practice. And she thinks one step at a time, one step at a time. And then as soon as her feet were past the treacherous stairs, treacherous stairs, they're just stairs bells. They're just stairs. And she said she's wearing a skirt, right? So I don't think she's wearing a big long gown. She's wearing a bloody pencil skirt with a little bit of a train on it. Like, okay, I think he can handle it. So she says, as soon as my feet were past the treacherous stairs, I was looking for him. For a brief second, I was distracted by the profusion of white blossoms that hung in garlands. Right. So she, now she's noticing the flowers that she's already sniffed out. Maybe this is why she should have been able to see the decorations on her way into the house because now she's getting distracted. All she wants to do is look at Edward at the end of the aisle and she's getting distracted by the flowers. I think that one backfired on you, Alice. So then she's tearing her eyes away from the flowers and she's looking across the satin draped chairs. She's blushing deeply as she took in the crowd of faces all focused on her. And then she goes, until I found him at last, standing before an arch overflowing with more flowers. Okay. So she told me it was a brief second that she took all this in. And then she gave me an elaborately detailed paragraph about it. And then she says, oh, I finally found him. I finally found him. Yeah. He's at the end of the fucking aisle, idiot. He's at the end of the fucking aisle. He's not where's Waldo. He's he's not hiding he's not going to pop out of the side and be like, surprise. Like, yeah, oh, I finally found him. Where could he be? Yeah. Maybe under the big arch of flowers. And then she says, I was barely conscious that Carlyle stood by his side and Angela's father behind them both. I didn't see my mother where she must've been sitting in the front row or my new family or any of the guests. They would have to wait till later. All I really saw was Edward's face. All you really saw was Edward's face. And, and yet You saw the profusion of white blossoms. You saw the bloody satin coverings on the chairs. You did just say you took in the whole crowd of faces, but no, all I really saw was Edward's face. And then she describes Edward's face, which we've all heard a million times. And then she goes, suddenly it was only the pressure of Charlie's hand on mine that kept me from sprinting headlong down the aisle. So now she's gonna sprint. You'll definitely fall over if you sprint down the aisle, Bells. You'll trip over that pencil skirt, I can assure you. She says, mercifully, the aisle was very short. Like, yeah, because it's in a house, Bells. It's in a house, you're not in a church. And then she said, and then at last, at last, she says twice, at last, at last, I was there. Oh my God, you just said it wasn't a, a long aisle. And now you're making out like you've just walked a bloody mile. At last, she's acting like she's bloody Sam and Frodo at Mountain Doom. And she's just trekked all over Middle Earth. Like, no, you just walked in the living room of the Cullens' house. You went from the stairs to the kitchen. And so did the Cullens like deck out the whole house like with beds? Like, do you think like they were like, oh, just in case any of the guests duck into the bedrooms, we need to go and buy beds. Did they fill the cupboards with like staples, like rice and pasta just to make the appearance that they're human beings? I wonder what, what effort they had to put in to go with this charade. I wonder. Okay, so then, okay, then they get married. She says, Charlie took my hand and in a symbol as old as the world, placed it in Edwards. All right. A symbol as old as the world's. Just Charlie putting her hand in Edwards. Okay. You know what's old? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs came before there were hands or weddings, babe. So I don't think it's a symbol as old as the world. (laughs) God, she kills me. So then they do their vows. She says they use the traditional vows, but they only made one change they got rid of till death do us part for the more appropriate as long as we both shall live. Which I don't really think that is appropriate since he's dead. He's not alive. And you shall only live for like a couple of months more. If that, I guess they're considering being undead as being alive, which, you know, we might be splitting hairs, but they're splitting hairs being like, oh, not till death do us part. No, 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 no. Since we're already dead. Let's say as long as we both shall live. Like, I don't get the difference. You're a vampire being married by a minister. Like, I I don't really think the nuance of the words matter that much to apply to your own personal situation. So then she's loving the wedding. She says, I saw just how silly I'd been for fearing this. I looked into Edward's shining triumphant eyes and I knew that I was winning too because nothing else mattered but that I could stay with him. Like, oh, it's all very lovely. She realizes that she's crying and she says, I do. He says, I do. They're declared husband and wife. And then he goes to kiss her. And she says his golden eyes looked as if they would have tears too, if such a thing were not impossible. What? He can't even cry. Did we know this? That he can't even cry because he can certainly knock a bitch up. He's producing some fluids from that body, clearly, but he can't produce tears. Okay. What a weird thing to think. Whilst you're, you're doing the I do's and you may now kiss the bride and you're like, huh, he can't actually cry. But I bet he I bet he would be if he could cry, but he's a vampire. And yet when they were kissing last night, she was forgetting that he was a vampire. She's like, oh, it's so easy when I'm kissing him to forget that he's a vampire. And yet now they're getting married and she can't forget because she's like, oh yeah, he doesn't cry. What a weird thing to think to take you out of the moment. So anyway- I think it's implied that she kisses him a little bit too much. She kisses back quite vociferously because he's got to restrain her face with his hands and pull back. (laughs) So um, how embarrassing. In front of everyone she knows, he, after seconds of being married to her, is pushing her face off of his face. Like, oh my God, how cringe. How cringe. But I guess everyone's laughing. She says the crowd erupted into applause And he turned our bodies to face our friends and family. I couldn't look away from his face to see them. Oh God, she's obsessed with him. I'd be cringing from the fact that he just pushed my face off of me during our first kiss, (laughs) but okay. Then she's getting hugged by everyone. She's being passed around the house from embrace to embrace. But her attention was of course, centred the whole time on Edward. She really likes Edward, guys. And then she says, one scorching hug stood out from all the others. Seth Clearwater had braved the throng of vampires to stand in for my lost werewolf friend. And I'm thinking like, okay, so a werewolf was there that whole time. So Edward, happiest day of his life, must've had that horrible dog smell. Like I know there were a lot of flowers, freesias in particular, but that can't cover up the smell of dog smell when you're a vampire. The whole family must've been thinking the place stunk, having a horrible experience during this wedding. Because Seth Clearwater's stinking up the joint. Anyway, that was the end of the chapter. So let's leave it there. They're finally married. And as much as I had comments and critiques throughout the chapter, it's kind of cute. It was kind of cute to see them get married after, after that big, long wait. And really, it's just a box ticking exercise because now we can be like, all right, let's have sex and let's turn you into a vampire. They're the two things that we want. Like I've never sided with Bella more now that we've gotten Edward's boring conditions out of the way. Let's get down to the sacks. Let's get down to the vampin. And then let's all have that spoiled by a little arrival of a kid called Rotisserie Chicken. So I'll see you guys next week. As always, let me know your thoughts, feelings, opinions. You can also head over to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books. There's new episodes of my Fifty Shades Freed recaps every Friday. And that's $3 a month. So I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at Down and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breaking down bad books ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun free way to support the show breaking down bad books is hosted by me nathan brown who you can follow on instagram and twitter at nathanbrown 90 thanks for listening and happy reading